All right, well, I want to invite you guys to open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. And we have two more weeks in the book of Jonah. We've got this week and we've got next week, and that's going to be it. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter um, 4, verse 2 today. And last week we talked about how God, he sent Jonah the prophet to go preach to this evil city of Nineveh. Um, they're an evil people, they're rebellious people, they've turned from God, God sends Jonah to preach a message of repentance to them, and Jonah doesn't want to do it. And God has to do everything he can to get Jonah to Nineveh, uh, Jonah preaches, Nineveh repents of their sin, and then God shows them mercy, and he does not bring destruction on them because they repented of their sin. Now last week we talked about how Jonah, in light of the fact that God gives these evil people mercy, Jonah gets mad. And last week was all about the fact that Jonah had so much disdain and so much hatred for these people, the city of Nineveh, that he would rather see him punished than he would see the grace and the mercy of God poured out on them. And so let's, um, let's jump into the text today and see kind of Jonah's response of what happens after he gets mad, and then we'll go from there. And so Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And the scripture says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so he says to God, God, I knew you're gonna do this. That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place because I knew if I went there and preached, you were gonna have mercy on them and you were gonna forgive them. All right, so he's angry at God for showing mercy. Now, I want you to watch Jonah's response in verse three. In verse three, Jonah says this. Jonah says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah's disdain and his hatred for these people are so real and so significant that when he realizes that God's gonna have, his, have mercy on him, his response is, you know what, God, here's the deal. If you're not gonna kill them, then just go ahead and kill me. His, this guy basically gets suicidal because God shows mercy on these people. Now, if you've been here through most of the Jonah series um, and you've heard most of these sermons, then one of the things that ought to be hitting you about right now is that Jonah has issues. Y'all with me? My man has problems. He's got deep-seated psychological problems, deep-seated problems with his heart. And so what's gonna happen next is that God is for the, just the rest of chapter four and then it's over, is God's gonna kind of go to work on Jonah's heart because this dude's messed up. And that's what Hallam, Pastor Hallam's gonna preach on next week. That'll be our last sermon in the series of Jonah. Hallam's gonna kind of teach on what God does to change Jonah's heart in this moment. But what we're going to look at today is not God's heart to change Jonah, but we're going to look at God's heart to change cities. We're going to look at a very simple message today. There's nothing profound that I'm going to say that you're like, wow, I've never thought about that. It's very simple. We're going to look at God, the creator of heaven and earth, his heart to change cities for his name and his glory. All right, and um, so that's kind of what we're gonna be doing. Um, we're gonna be looking at that. Now, what I wanna do is I wanna paraphrase what Hallem's gonna preach on and kind of exposit next week, just kind of run through the story. We're gonna get the very last two verses of the book of Jonah. God talks about his heart for cities, and that's all we're gonna look at today. So let me paraphrase what's gonna happen between where we are here and there. So Jonah says, God, you know what? If you're gonna show mercy, just kill me. God doesn't kill him. And but what Jonah does is he goes up to the top of this hill. We don't know why he goes to the top of this hill. 
I think he was probably going up to the top of the hill just in one last hope that maybe God's going to pour down hellfire and brimstone on the Ninevites. So he goes up on the top of the hill, kind of sits down and watches the city. And when he's been sitting up there a while, it hits him that it's really hot. And he's, and he's getting mad because it's hot. And so he builds himself, this weird part of the Bible, by the way. He builds himself a little shelter, and, but the sun's getting through and he's still hot. So what God does is God makes this plant grow. And this plant grows up over the shelter and provides um, shade for Jonah. And Jonah, really, for the first time in the whole story, Jonah gets happy. Jonah is like, God, thank you. Finally, I mean, God, you have made my life miserable. God, you took me from my country. You made me get on a boat. You threw storms at me. I jumped off the boat. I, I was in a whale for three days. You, you spit me out on the beach of this evil, impetuous city, Nineveh. And for crying out loud, God, you showed your mercy to them. Would you just kill me? And now, now, this is good, though. You gave me some shade. God, I appreciate it. And the scripture said that he was exceedingly glad. But then when Jonah went to sleep, God sent a worm and it killed the plant, and when Jonah woke up, he's next level mad. He's next level mad, and basically he says to God, and, and again, I'm paraphrasing, Holland will preach on this next week, but next week, or rather, he says, look, God, here's the deal. This is it, last thing I'm gonna say. You had compassion on the Ninevites, and now you took my shade, and so for real, would you kill me? And that's the last thing Jonah says in the book. That's it. That's the last thing we hear from this prophet, this missionary in the book of Jonah. Now, before we jump into the last two verses of the story, which really shows God's heart for cities, I wanna just give you a little, two things that are a little background context of what's going on in the story of Jonah to remind you of God's heart and why he's about to say what he's about to say to Jonah. And here's the first thing, and it's the form of a question. I wanna ask you this. Knowing just how messed up Jonah is, why do you think God picked him to be the missionary for this missionary journey? Why do you think God chose Jonah? Because I don't know if you guys have kind of noticed, but here's the thing that hit me this week. Jonah might be the worst missionary in history. He might be the worst missionary in the history of the world. God calls the guy and he immediately starts complaining and he whines and then he runs from God and then he disobeys God and then he whines and complains some more and when God shows mercy, he's like, God, please kill me. This guy might be the worst missionary in history and if I were God, if I were God, I think I probably would have chosen somebody to go preach to Nineveh that actually liked people. Amen, y'all with me? I would pick a guy, okay, he actually likes people so let's send him but God doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He picks this dude that hates these people to go on this missionary journey to Nineveh. And if you think about it, none of that took God by surprise. God is omnipotent. He knows all things. He knows exactly how Jonah is gonna respond. He knows everything that Jonah's gonna do. He knows Jonah's heart. So here's the question. Why does God choose this guy, this man, to go on this missionary journey, journey knowing that man is gonna do everything in his power to keep it from being successful. Have you ever thought about that? Why Jonah? Well, here I think is the answer to the question, is that God intentionally chooses someone that does not love evil and rebellious people to do the job. 
in order to demonstrate how much God does love evil and rebellious people. Because I think it'd be one thing, the story of Jonah would teach us one thing about God if God had handpicked Jonah and Jonah would say, said, yeah, absolutely, I'll go do that, I love the Ninevites. And he goes and preaches to the Ninevites and they repent, we would all be saying Jonah's the hero of the story. But if it's like this, it teaches us something altogether different about God. It teaches us altogether something different about God when God picks a guy that does everything in his power to keep the mission from occurring, and then we watch as God moves heaven and earth to make sure that these evil people come to repentance and experience his love and his grace and his mercy. Okay, at the end of the day, this is a story about God's radical love for people. Now here's the second thing I want you to remember some context. It's important to remember that the predominant thought up to that point, and remember, we're in the Old Testament here. This is not a New Testament book. And the predominant thought up to that point was that God only cared about the Israelites. The Israelites were almost arrogant in their understanding that God was really into them. They were his chosen people. He handpicked them out of all the nations of the world. And their thought was, God, you only care about us. You only love us. You're only extending your mercy and your grace to us. And what the story of Jonah does is it shows us that God is not just going to have compassion on his people but God is gonna have compassion on people all over the world that are far from him. The book of Jonah, forgive me for the cheesy illustration, but I was thinking about it. The book of Jonah is kind of like that old legend that people tell about Babe Ruth. It's not not the candy bar, but the baseball player. Supposedly years ago, this famous guy, this great baseball player stood up and the pitcher's about to throw a pitch and the great Bambino pointed to the center field seats and that was his way of saying to the pitcher and saying to the crowd, that's where I'm going to hit the ball. And sure enough, the pitcher throws it, and according to legend, Babe Ruth hit it right to where he pointed. And that's kind of what the story of Jonah is a long time before Jesus ever shows up on the scene to pour out his grace through the cross. That what God is doing is kind of, God is calling his shot, they said, about Babe Ruth. God is calling his shot. He's pointing, God is pointing to the nations Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus come and says, look, I don't just have a heart for the Israelites. I have a heart for every person on the planet of the earth, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, I'm gonna bring my grace to. The story of Jonah is ultimately not a story about a guy that gets eaten by a well. The story of Jonah is about the radical love of God for people that are far from him, okay? So with that in mind, we're gonna to jump to the end of the story here and we're gonna watch the last two things God says and then the, and the book of Jonah is done. But again, again it's gonna show his heart for cities and nations, all right? Let's look at Jonah chapter four, verse 10. Jonah chapter four, verse 10. Now remember, walk through the context. Jonah lost his shade and he's really mad. Watch what God says to him. God says something really interesting. The Lord said, Jonah, you had compassion on the plant. So he had the plant, he was exceedingly glad, the plant died, he got really, really mad, but then God says an interesting thing to him. God says, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. What in the world does God mean when he looks at Jonah, he's trying to teach Jonah something, and he says, hey, you need to understand something, Jonah, you had compassion on a plant. 
What's he mean? Well, that word is a phrase, you had compassion. Here's what it means. It's a phrase there in the Hebrew that means, really, it's a deeper word than compassion. It really means to grieve. And it's to be grieved to the point that you take action on something. In other words, you see something, it grieves your heart, and you don't just watch it, but you do something about it. And what God just said to Jonah was like, hey, you were grieved over the fact that this plant died to the point that you took action, you got mad, and you, and you bowed up to me. God said, you had compassion on the plant. Now, what's interesting is that that phrase, you had compassion, is very, very similar to a Greek phrase that we see in the New Testament, and we see it just a handful of times. And it's interesting how it's used. And it always means the same thing. It's a person or a group of people that sees something, they're grieved by it, and then they do something about it. All right, the first time that we see that phrase, he had compassion, was Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000. And so you guys know there's a huge crowd following Jesus. He's going around teaching everybody. There's a huge crowd following him, and he looks out and he realizes they're hungry. They haven't eaten all day. And this is back before Walmart and McDonald's, so you can't just make like a pizza run or something. And so Jesus, he's like, the, the disciples are like, how are we going to feed these people? And it said, there's an interesting phrase there. It said that Jesus looked out at the crowd, and the Bible says he had compassion on them. And the very next thing it says is, and he fed them. He began to gather up the fish and the loaves. In other words, Jesus saw a need, it grieved him, and, it, and he took action. So that's the phrase. He had compassion. The other time we see it is in the story of the prodigal son. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the story of the prodigal son, Jesus tells the story of a younger brother that comes up to his dad, says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. So the father gives the younger brother's inheritance, he takes off to a faraway land, he squanders his inheritance on what the Bible calls loose living, famine comes into the land, the kid winds up in a pig pen eating the stuff that the pigs are eating, and there's a moment where he comes to his senses, the scripture said, and, the, and it hits the guy, I can go home because my father, his hired servants are eating better than I'm eating right now, and they're living better than I'm living, so he gets up out of the pig pen, he starts walking home, hits him on the way home, my dad is probably not gonna take me back, but I'm at least gonna go try to work for him. So he's walking up the driveway there, and the scripture says that his dad was looking for him the whole time. And Jesus said that when he was still a long way off, the father had compassion on him. And the father took off running in a dead sprint, wrapped his arms around the son, and threw a party for him, welcomed him home. And so what the father did is the father saw a need, his, his son that had been running from him and from God, and it grieved him, and so when he saw him, he did something about him. He sprinted to him, loved him, restored him back into the family. He had compassion on him. The third time we see it, story of the Good Samaritan. There was a Jewish guy walking down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's a very narrow road. He's going, he, he gets jumped by some robbers. They beat him, they strip him naked, and a Samaritan guy is walking by. The Samaritan is a mortal enemy of the Jews. The Samaritan guy sees the Jewish guy, his mortal enemy, laying there, half naked on the ground and dying. And this, Jesus said in the Bible, the scripture says, and he had compassion on him. And he picked up the guy, bound up his wounds, took him to an end, made sure he was taken care of. And so what we see here is the good Samaritan saw a need, he was grieved by it, and then he took action on it. Now, go back to Jonah 4.10. Watch what God says again. Then the Lord said, you 
had compassion, Jonah, on a plant. Jonah, you just got grieved to the point where it moved your heart to action over a stupid palm tree. Now, watch what God says in verse 11. Let's go ahead and turn to verse 11. Verse 10, he says, Jonah, you had compassion on a plant. In verse 11, he says, should I not have compassion? Same phrase. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. And what God does right there, church, is God just drops a bomb on a century-old worldview, centuries-old worldview of the Israelites who thought they were the only people that God cared about. They, were the, they thought they were the only people that God loved. And God looks at Jonah in the very last words of this entire book, and God says, Jonah, you were grieved by the fact that you lost a palm tree? How in the world, Jonah, would I not be grieved over 120,000 souls that are far from me? And that's where the book ends. That's it. That's the last thing we hear from Jonah or from God is God says, hey, if you're gonna have compassion over something that small, how in the world would I not have compassion on all these people? Now again, we're Christians in the 21st century and so that doesn't blow our minds. But if you were um, an Israelite back in the day reading Jonah, that might've even been to the point of offensive for you because you couldn't fathom this idea that God would move heaven and earth to reach people that weren't Israelites, but that's exactly what God is doing. And there's a concept, there's kind of a theory out there, and it's actually hit the news over the last couple of weeks in certain circles that there's this movement among modern, um, I'm not gonna put labels on anybody, I'll just say this, some modern Christians, and, and kind of the, the philosophy behind this movement is that God is a God of love in the New Testament, that God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament. And because God's a God of wrath in the Old Testament that, that we can't trust the Old Testament, we can only trust the New Testament. But the book of Jonah blows that out of the water. Church, you now know better than that because that statement right there, it shows us that centuries before the New Testament ever existed, God was going out of his way. He was moving heaven and earth. He was doing everything he could to extend his grace to people that were not the Israelites that were all over the world that were far from him. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why am I showing you this? Well, it's the point of the book of Jonah, but it's this, and I wanna talk for the rest of our sermon today, I wanna just talk about how this statement by God, how should I not have compassion, Jonah, on the Ninevites, the great city, that statement right there has been one of the most foundational driving verses on us becoming the church that we have become. And some of you guys are new to the Austin Stone. I just read a statistic about um, downtown campus, and this is crazy, that 50% of our downtown campus is brand new in the last two years. And so some of the stuff I'm gonna share with you over the next few minutes, you may have never heard before, but I want to share with you why this verse and others like it are the heartbeat of our church so that you know who we are and what, what, what we're supposed to be about. Let's read it one more time. Jonah 4, uh, 4.11, 
God says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city? And the last sentence of this book we've been studying for weeks, God says this. He says, I am so grieved by this lost city of Nineveh that I have to do something about it. I'm so grieved, God says, about this city that does not know me. I have to go to them. And guys, that is the reason. That is one of the primary reasons why when we planted this church, we planted it in Austin, Texas. I really wanted to go to Fort Worth. I've shared multiple times. I'm not, I, was not, I am now. I love Austin. I don't, never want to live anywhere else the rest of my life. It's the greatest city in the whole world, which I've proven scientifically. But I don't want to live anywhere else. But back in the day, I didn't want to move to Austin for a lot of reasons. And I wanted to go to Fort Worth. Fort Worth sounded cool to me. It sounded country. And then, um, and so, but I, I started driving around Fort Worth one day and something hit me. That there's a church on every corner in Fort Worth, Texas. I mean, there is a Baptist church on every corner in Fort Worth, Texas. And right beside the Baptist church, there's a Methodist church on every corner in Fort Worth, Texas. And so, Instead of, you know, me going and starting the Fort Worth Stone, I started looking around Texas and like, where is there a need? And I came across Austin, Texas. And in 2002, Austin, Texas fit the description of a place that God would send Jonah. It fit the description of a place that God would send somebody because he looked at him and said, man, I have compassion on those people because they're far from me. And so just can I give you an example of what I'm, I mean by that and what I'm talking about that is at the time I was a youth pastor in the Woodlands, Texas, which at the time had 80,000 people, 70 or 80,000 people. And when I was a youth pastor there and that was the population, there were seven or eight really strong Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches for 70 or 80,000 people. There were seven or eight churches. And so that's one church, really good Bible-believing church for every 10,000 people. But in Austin at the time, in 2002, there was about 800,000 people. It's grown now. There's about 800,000 people in 2002. And at the time, and I was researching this extensively, there were about seven or eight churches that were Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches in the city of Austin. That's one solid, growing, Bible-preaching church for every 100,000 people. And so it kind of hit us and our team. It's like, hey, if God is grieved by 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh, how much more would he be grieved? About 800,000 people in the city of Austin that do not know him, and that's why we came to Austin. And I wanna talk for just a second before we move on. I wanna talk for a second just to those of you that have been at the Austin Stone for a really long time and have maybe forgotten that our heartbeat from the very beginning was to take the message of Jesus Christ to people that do not know him. That's kind of who we are. That's what we're about. If you're brand new or if you've been here a long time, I just want to remind you, and I'm not, I'm not piling on you guys. I just want to let you know. And I, this morning when they were casting this all over the place, I, I specifically looked at the camera and I said, West, I'm talking to you because they're building a big old fat building in West, Texas, or West Austin. And I'm like, North, I'm talking to you because we already built y'all a building. And St. John, we already built y'all a building. I'm talking to you. And South, we're looking for y'all a, a, a building. So I'm talking to you. And I, and I reminded uh, the downtown campus that you guys are never gonna get a building. So this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> and I'm here with you because I founded this church. I don't have a building, right? So don't get mad at me. I'm with you. 
But here's the thing I want the Austin Stone to realize, that the heartbeat of the Austin Stone ever, ever, and there's nothing wrong with buildings. Buildings are great. But the heartbeat of the Austin Stone was never for us to come to Austin and to build some buildings and create a country club for people to come and hang out in, sing some songs until they die. That was never our heart. And it's not our heart now. The heartbeat from the very beginning, from the very foundation of this church was to take the message of the saving love of Jesus Christ to the people in the city of Austin that did not know him. That does not know him. And here's the thing I, I said to the earlier service, and I'm gonna say to y'all, if that heartbeat of our church ever changes, I pray that God would remove our lampstand from this church. If that, if that heartbeat ever changes at the Austin Stone, I pray that he would remove his presence and his blessing from us and he would pour it out on somebody else. And so that statement, God says, I have compassion. How in the world would I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, has been a driving force to this church and I hope and pray it always will be. Here's another thing that statement has done. It was the foundational thinking behind why we built the For the City Center in the St. John's neighborhood. Our campus in the St. John's neighborhood, which is kind of an under-resourced neighborhood in Austin, or at least it was years ago, um, that was on our hearts. And the very first building we ever built was the For the City Center. It's not called the Austin Stone Community Church. It's the For the City Center in the St. John's neighborhood. The vision for that building came to me, I was on sabbatical about a decade ago. I was on the side of a mountain, I was reading Amos 5, and I'd read the entire Old Testament up to that point, and I was blown away about how often in the Old Testament God talks about the poor, and God talks about the widow, and God talked about the orphan, and God talked about the oppressed. I, I'd never been taught that in Sunday school, I just got taught Jonah and the whale. I never got taught that, that God is really into taking care of oppressed people, and it's all through the Old Testament. And then I got to Amos 5, and I got to that place where God looks at his people and says, take away from me the noise of your songs. And I'm sitting there reading that, I'm like, man, what in the world did they do? for God to say to them, hey, stop singing to me. And he goes on and he said, your festivals that you're having in my name, they drain me. Your, your burnt offerings that you're burning to me, they smell bad to me. God says, quit singing, quit giving me offerings. And you're like, what in the world did these people do? And then God says, here's what I want. I don't want your songs, I don't want your offerings. What I want from you is righteousness and I want justice from you. And in the context of what he's talking about, what God is really saying is, what I want from my people, first and foremost, is compassion. You've got needs all around you. You're not grieved by them, and you're not doing anything about them, so shut up and quit singing. That's what God says. And as a young pastor that had a church full of people that loved to sing, and a young pastor that was, had, a, had a worship leader at the time, that might be the most famous worship leader on planet earth, I sat there and, and I thought to myself, God, have we become this? Have we gotten to a place as a church where we're quick to raise our hands and sing to you, but we are not grieved, we're not having compassion on the needs all around us. And so what we did is we took the money that we'd been raising for a building and the first place we moved was for the city center. We bought five acres and then we created a building. I don't know if you knew this, but it has... Uh, nonprofits. It's full of nonprofits that use the building from Monday through Saturday. We use it on Sunday, but the rest of the week it's used by these organizations that exist to be for the welfare of the city. 
And that's the very first building we ever built. It was a building that wasn't for us. And that's not because we're cool. It's not because we're godly. It's because we want the foundation of this church to be and always to be a church that worships God, yes, but has compassion on our city at the exact same time. That statement where God says, I have compa- why should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, 120,000 people, that's been the driving force behind our 100 people network. If you don't know what that is, that there was a guy years ago, a young man came up to me and said, Matt, I got a vision, I got a, I got a dream for our church, that we would send 100 people from our church to unreached people groups all over the world. And you hear that in a church our size, you think 100 people, that's not that many, but I just want you to know something, that number is crazy. The church I grew up in, we sent one missionary, one, in the 18 years I was in that church growing up. And so when this young man said 100, in, in my mind, in my heart, I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, there's no way, Jack, that's ever gonna happen. Nobody wants to leave Austin Everybody gets out of UT and they go work at Starbucks so they can stay in Austin. Nobody's gonna leave Austin and go to Afghanistan and get shot. Nobody's gonna do that. I, that's what I thought. I didn't say to him, I was like, okay, we'll do it, man. Let's go for it. Let's do it. So I said, you organize it. I'll preach a sermon series. And so I preached a sermon series. And the last night of the sermon series, we had an informational meeting. It was one of our, after our seven o'clock service, we had an informational meeting. And then after the informational meeting, we had 572 people show up to say, I wanna go to a country somewhere around the world and tell people about Jesus. And I, don't, I actually don't know the total number that's happened between, that's gone between now and then. I just wanna tell you how many people right now are from our church all over the world. Right now, as I'm standing here today, there's 142 missionaries, we call them goers. There's 142 missionaries that are in the field as we speak. There's 62 that are in the pipeline. They're right now being trained as we speak. That's 204 people from our church that have left Austin, Texas, or are about to leave Austin, Texas, and go to crazy places to have compassion on cities that don't know God. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, Let me, let me just say this. I, 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 I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I wanna tell you the number. $1.4 million is coming out of our budget this year. $1.4 million is coming out of, is right out of your pocket, into the offering plate, right into their pocket. Um, that's a lot of money that we go every year, that goes out of our budget every year to them. And because of that, because of their saying yes to God, because of your generosity, here's the thing that hit me one time. The sun never, ever, ever sets on the ministry of the Austin Sun Community Church. You ever thought about that? The sun goes around the world and it never sets on the ministry of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can clap. That's really cool. That makes, us, that makes this church one of the largest sending, missionary sending organizations in the world. Not one of the largest churches, one of the largest mission sending organizations in the world. And I don't say that to brag because God has done that. That's blown away my wildest imagination. I could have not dreamed that in a million years, but I do think it shows the heart of God to have compassion on the world. I think he's just kind of saying, who will go for me? Who will go for me? Now, I wanna start landing the plane here, but I think the temptation is for us to hear kind of all these cool things 
that God is doing through the Austin Stone and for us to kind of sit back and say, well, that's really cool, that's awesome, way to go, great job, church, and we forget the fact that God wants to actually do these things through individual people that make up the Austin Stone. And so I wanna just ask you a quick question today. Because we know, we know God has compassion on Austin. We know he does, we know that's his heart. We know God has compassion on the nations. We know that is his heart. We know that God is grieved to the point of action for Austin and for the nation. We know God is. And so here's the question I have for you this morning is are you grieved to the point of action about the lostness of Austin and the lostness of Santa Fe, Texas and the lostness of the countries? all over the world that have never, ever heard, ever, the name of Jesus Christ? Do you see the lostness of the nations? Do you see the lostness of the people in our country? Do you see the lostness of Austin? And does it grieve you to the point where like Jesus and like the the father in the story of prodigal son and like the good Samaritan where they see an issue and it grieves them to the point that they don't sit back and watch it, but they do something about it? Or are you like Jonah? just kind of sitting up on the top of a hill, more concerned about how much shade you've got or you don't got. You know, the question I really want you to think about and answer for yourself today is this. Are you using Austin for something? Or are you having compassion on Austin? Are you using Austin for a degree? Are you using Austin for a job? Are you using Austin to have a really nice, safe place to raise your kids and live a good life until God calls you home to glory? Are you having compassion on Austin and engaging its needs for the glory of God so that people will know the saving grace of his son? This place, by the way, that God ordains you to live. And you're like, what do you mean, Matt? What do you mean God ordained me to live in Austin? Well, let me just read a verse real quick. We're almost done here. Acts 17, 26. Watch this. The scripture says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And so God was the one that made man. He made every nation that they may live all over the face of the earth. Watch what it says about you. It says, having determined their appointed times. What does that mean? That God said he appointed your, or, or he determined rather your appointed time. That means that some point in time in the past, God looked at you probably before the foundation of the world and he said, this is the time that this individual person is going to live. God handpicked the time that you would come screaming into the world and that you would leave this world one day. God, that's not accident, that's not random choice. God selected it. Here's the second thing the scripture says. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, it says, and the boundaries of their habitation. That before the foundation of the world, not only did God determine and decide when you as an individual would live, he determined where you were gonna live. That's God's choice. You're not in Austin because that's where you went to school. You're not in Austin because that's where you got a job. You're not in Austin because that's where you were born. You're not in Austin because it's a cool place to live. You're in Austin because the scripture claims before the foundation of the world, God handpicked you to live in Austin, Texas. 
And in light of everything we've learned in the book of Jonah, do you really think that from the foundation of the world, God handpicked you to be alive on May 20th, 2018 in the great city of Austin, Texas, just so that you could get a degree or get a job and raise some kids and buy a house and fill up your 401k and die? Do you really think that's God's great plan for your life? that he chose before you were ever born? Or do you think that maybe it's possible that since God went to all that effort to handpick the place and the time that you would live, that maybe he wants to use you to do something about the one point something million people that right now live in the city of Austin that don't know him at all? One of the greatest joys of my life, and I'll end with this story, one of the greatest uh, joys of my life has been watching people respond to that call to be for the city. And seeing God raise up just everyday people. They were in a missional community, they heard some sermon, they went on some mission trip with us and God captured their heart and they came home and they saw the lostness of Austin and they engaged it, they had compassion on it. It's one of the greatest joys of my life to see all those stories. And one of my favorites, and I had a hard time picking this one, but one of my favorites is a buddy of mine named Matt. And about 10 years ago, God was really stirring in his heart, actually the St. John's neighborhood before we ever moved in there. He, it kind of hit him that he loved baseball and there was very little representation of the game of baseball in kind of the inner city of Austin. There's all these kids that live in the inner city and they don't get to play baseball. And so God was kind of stirring in his heart to be able to bring quality baseball to those kids in those neighborhoods. And he came to the stone one Sunday and young, arrogant preacher was yelling at him about being for the city and having compassion on the city and getting in the fight. And, and God started stirring his heart. And so he made the decision that he was gonna do something about the need. He saw the need and he didn't just walk away. He had compassion on it, grieved him, so he did something about it. And so he started a... Um, him and a couple of his buddies started a baseball team in the St. John's neighborhood called the Austin Blazers. And I wanna show you a picture. That's the Austin Blazers, isn't that cool? And so they started this baseball team called the Austin Blazers. I think they lost a lot of games that year, which, which is understandable, but what God birthed out of that one little baseball team is incredible. What God's done through Matt and this group of people that started the Austin Blazers is unbelievable. Shortly after that, they realized this need is bigger than we ever thought. And they were grieved about it, and so they engaged, and so they started an organization called RBI Baseball. You may have heard of it. And what RBI Baseball does, it exists to create quality baseball and softball teams and programs for kids who can't afford it or that don't have access to it. And not only do they do that, and this is what's really cool, is they realize that a lot of these kids don't have dads, and so they've created a gospel mentoring program where any kid that wants it, any kid who wants it, they will connect an adult with a child and that child helps or that adult helps them walk through life and mentors them in the love of Jesus Christ, which is really cool. And what started, what started, clap after this, cause that's cool, but this is really cool. What started as a handful of kids, you can see their faces 10 years ago, as of last year, when I'm talking 2018, of last year in 2017, there's 1,171 kids that are in the RBI program being mentored. How cool is that? And all it was, all it was was one guy, one guy hearing a message that God cares about cities and he's like, I care about cities 
and he saw a need, he had compassion on it, he did something about it. And here's the thing, is there's a thousand stories just like Matt's all over the Austin Stone. There's a thousand stories, but here's the thing that kind of hit me, is that there's 7,500 people that come here every single week. And so I'm not great at math, but that's about 6,500 people that I'd like to see raise their hand and say, God, I don't know what it is you want me to do. But the answer is yes, if you call me to it. And ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to have compassion? How do you want me to engage? Maybe it's just your next door neighbor. Maybe it is a nonprofit. Maybe it is the nations. Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's, maybe it's leaving your job and starting something new. I don't know, maybe it's going in, I don't know what it is. But you ask God, God, I know your heart for this city. God, would you give me your heart for this city? And when you call, my answer is yes. And if you're having trouble finding that motivation, just remember this, believer, child of God, that there was some moment, some time in the past where God looked down and he saw you. And you were still in your sin and you were still in your Nineveh. And God had compassion on you. And he sent somebody and you heard the message of the love and the grace and the mercy of God and you received it and it changed your life and it changed your eternity. Why don't we be that for somebody else in the city of Austin, all right? Let's pray. As the band comes up, we're gonna sing here in just a second. In light of what Amos 5 said, let's, let's do business with God before we sing. To this God that says, take away from me the noise of your songs, for I want righteousness and justice and compassion. And maybe, maybe you are like Jonah and, and you've kind of been sitting up somewhere on a hill building shelters for yourself, more worried about how much shade you're getting instead of walking down into the valley and saying, God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do to the Nineveh that you've called me to go. I think today would be a good day to surrender to that. Father, I thank you that all those thousands of years ago you called your shot. I thank you that you didn't confine your love to Israel, but you poured it out to the ends of the earth. Because back in 1982, a young kid heard the gospel for the first time. It changed his heart. That's me. Thank you for that. If there's any here that don't know you, that have never experienced your compassion, Lord, I pray that you would pour it out on them today and they would, in the best way they know how, receive that and trust in you and follow you. And I believe with all my heart because you said that you created us in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them. Lord, I pray that there would be many today that raise their hand and say, God, the answer is yes. So just show me what those good works are. I pray they would hear you clearly. I pray that you would provide for them, protect them, equip them, and send them to that work. We love you. We praise you. 
And now it is our joy and honor to sing to you, God, and I pray that it would be a sweet sound in your ears. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's worship him.